Welcome to the 127th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, David Udoe, and we're recording on the Monday evening after Arsene Wenger's 1,000th game, the defeat at Chelsea, and 24 hours before the team get the chance to show some improvement at home to Swansea City. So, as traditional, the panel introductions. First up, he's not been on the panel for a while, although he's an ever-present in the background, organising our monthly gathering and writing the introductory scripts for me to bulls up once I hit the record button. So, stepping back into the limelight, it's a welcome back to the editor of the Guna, Mr Kevin Witcher. And just how prescient were those words, Mr Udo? And seriously, it's like reading a cross between Chaucer, Shakespeare and Nietzsche in the same foul swoop. <laughs> Next up, a returning guest, a spokesman for the Arsenal Supporters Trust, currently waging a war with the board in an attempt to get more shares freed up for the fan share scheme. He also handles the PR for the England cricket team, so he's used to seeing epic fails at non-football venues, as well as Arsenal matches. He's also a man who enjoys a good Twitter feud or two. It's a pleasure to say hello once more to Mr Tim Payton. Good evening. Finally, a now regular Guna contributor whose first submission was an account of watching a North London derby in Vietnam, which reads like Apocalypse Now. (laughs) These days, he's more likely to be interviewing journalists and ex-players for our benefit. A contributor to the Islington Gazette, London Evening Standard, The Sunday People, When Saturday Comes, World Soccer, 442, In Bed with Maradona, The Football Pink and The Inside Left, amongst a few others. It's his first time on the podcast panel, so it's a particularly warm welcome to Mr. Late Youssef. The biggest library in the whole of North London. (laughs) So, gents, we last hit the the airwaves at the end of February, and since then, March has seen away trips to Stoke, Bayern München, Spurs and Chelsea, with just a solitary home game versus Everton in the FA Cup quarter-final. A hundred thousand things to talk about, but let's start with Wenger's own 1,000th game at Chelsea. Um, Mr. Payton... Is that it now for Arsenal's title challenge, or is there a tiny little bit of hope? There's always hope, but, <laughs> but you've got to have an awful lot of it at the moment. That's it. Um, teams that perform like that in the running don't win titles. Uh, look at what the other three are doing. They're on the upward curve. Arsenal are spluttering. It's very few points taken out of the last few games. And unfortunately, I think the 1,000th game came to symbolise quite a lot of the of Arsene Wenger's reign so yeah <laughs> it's kind of drawn a line underneath it but but like has the fat lady warmed up and ready to bell out to us or do you think if we beat Chelsea get a miracle against Man City and they drop points against Man United tomorrow night we're going to win it I must admit I'm quite a positive fan sometimes and um, I've only seen City for three decades gone home and away everywhere slept on roundabouts for an Arsenal before I've been at Chelsea loads of times to watch Arsenal and that, to be fair, was the worst performance I've seen. I saw, uh, you know, most of us have seen the 6-2 against United in 1990 when we lost in the League Cup. You know, 6-1 at Old Trafford, 2001, various other defeats, 5-0 against Chelsea in the League Cup. But that was awful. There was no spirit, there was no fight, there was no passion, there was nothing. It was, it was embarrassing. I remember one point when he came on in the first half, um, uh, Thomas Marlon was having to force himself at left back and I, I was sitting pitch side next to my brother who's a photographer and um, Vermarlon was there effing and blinding at everyone shouting that there was no one on his side of the pitch and Shirley was running at him and you've got the actual captain stood there shaking his head with his hands on his hips Kev are you going to pick this up now are you going to say David I don't know what you're talking about the only way is up baby in the words of Yaz and her plastic population <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I'd like to argue that in this of all seasons, um, Arsenal still have a chance. But uh, I think, as Tim has pointed out, um, momentum is everything. And you know, when Arsenal have won the titles before, they've 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 had momentum at this time. And I think that's really the frustrating thing that um, you know, in in recent seasons, we have been not necessarily in first place, but certainly within touching distance of the lead in springtime um, certainly 2008, 2010, 2011 all those years you could point and say well if Arsenal would put a run together a bit like they did at the end of last season um, then they, they could have sneaked the title um, so it's hugely frustrating that after so many times we still seem to be tripping up for some reason when Alex Ferguson's squeaky bum time starts to arrive and you've got to wonder if it's a psychological failing in the club at the moment which maybe needs to be addressed by some wholesale changes and uh, I think with more and more of these heavy defeats to big teams um, the goodwill is slowly dissipating towards the manager and the whole thing about the thousandth game was tremendously sad on, on one level but actually quite symbolic on another that, uh, you know, he, he last won a trophy before he played 500 games, so I understand it. <laughs> so we've had the second half of his reign completely potless and some would argue pointless. Um, so I, I just think, no, there's no chance of Arsenal winning the title now. Even on paper, though, you know, you could say there is. And... Um, it's really your your future questions in this podcast are going <laughs> to dictate, I think, what what our opinion is of of the future and uh, whether you know it is arson or not, and uh, if there is any point really, because as far as I see, um, it's same old, same old. Yeah. You, you've raised many points there to carry on talking. A lot of them based on the future and where do we go from here. But just staying um, where we are at the moment and, and looking at where we are at the moment and where we were this time last year. I mean, in the last ten matches of last season, the philosophy looked to looked to beat the start by ensuring the game was not lost, waiting for opportunities to score to develop. And um, I think it's safe to say for the last ten games of last season and the, the last three four months of this year, we were the best team in the country. I mean. What, what's, ha- what's happened to him? I mean, why the change year on? Why, why are we nil-nil at half-time if we're lucky? Well, partly look at the fixtures that fell in that calendar year. Um, what we can't cope with is playing the better teams, particularly away from home, both in Europe and um, in the Premier League. It's an inability to cut it when it really matters against the good teams. And if you actually, you know, it was often commented on in the first half of this season, it was shooed away by some about, oh, that's a miserable view. But if you actually looked at the equivalent points taken this year compared to last year, we were running on the very same trajectory because the fixture list helped us out with, with, with you know, with a friendlier start and then put in the tough away games and the, t- and the tough period that we're seeing now. What we perhaps hoped was that this Arsenal would turn the corner that the way that they played at times meant that there was that there was going to be a confidence, going to be an attitude that saw them rise to the occasion in these big games. But like Kev said, something is up. 
something isn't right are those players not playing for him are they psychologically just not capable of it is it a mood around the club but I don't see this is so ingrained now I don't see how it changes if something doesn't change fundamentally within the club it's too much of a character trait it's too much being put upon them um, and I just don't see how without just a, a, a change in psyche a change in personnel how are they going to stop this issue about not cutting it against the very best teams that's a good way of putting it in, in fairness Tim and let's face it I mean, I mean going from that Leith, um <laughs> you, you, you look afterwards Wenger comes out and says you know it, it wasn't the, the 11 multi-million pound players fault at all Oxlade-Chamberlain because all the gave balls away for, for goals and didn't bother chasing back but you know sod that it was all my fault I mean was the performance of the players simply the fault of the manager or did they let him down who's actually to blame yeah I mean that's a very good question for, for me Wenger's strengths have been his weaknesses and vice versa and he's a very very loyal manager basically you could argue that loyalty has been um, abused by players certainly since 2008 I would argue and um, I mean Tim mentioned it the change in psyche whether it's going to be Wenger changing which I'm, I'm not sure if I can see that or whether we've, we're going to appoint another manager but there's something needs to be changed because there's no mental toughness there there's no pride there's no fight and I don't know why that was. Ultimately, it's the players, the players on the pitch. But who, who directs them? It's the manager. And we've lost a game after seven minutes on Saturday. And that's just not good enough. It's strange, isn't it? He rewards them all with these big new contracts. <laughs> they all come out with platitudes about how much they respect him, love him, owe their career to him, best manager ever. Well, bloody well, get out on the pitch and prove it then. You, yeah. Anyone can put out a press release or do a tweet about mm. the big new contract he's awarded you, the faith he's put in you, but you're not really performing on the pitch. Either his assessment of your value is wrong or you're letting him down. But something is very wrong in the system. It's not an aberration. Mm. This isn't unfair to pick up on this game. It was the same at Anfield, mm. the same at City. Stoke, which is one of the harder away games, it, it actually was almost as bad, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. There was just absolutely no show there. Um, but there again, when you can earn 100k a week and take selfies in front of the um, <laughs> Spurs fans when you pulled off a win there, I mean, what on earth is that all about? Yeah. Take yourself is when you've won a bloody trophy yeah. you think too much of themselves some of these lads yeah. and they just need to roll their sleeves up and, mm. and, and, and win a few games but maybe they're, they're part of a culture and some of the Arsenal fan base has, 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 has fueled this which says oh fourth place is a trophy oh you're brilliant you've got into fourth you're a genius aren't you doing well on the resources you've got celebrating failure don't like this celebrating failure mm. I think when you celebrate failure you end up with the sort of thing that happened at Stamford Bridge at the weekend it makes me think of St James's Park at the end of last season when a, one of Koscielny's 26 goal mouth scrambles led to a 1-0 win and Mertesacker was at the front in front of us both fists pumping into the air as though we'd just won the general election the X Factor and the Premier League I mean going back to um, they, get, they do all get their bonuses of course there's a bonus for finishing in fourth place well there's a bonus for it's interesting the bonus is actually paid for reaching the Champions League knockout stages so you have to if you come fourth you have to win the qualifier game in August and then the yes. bonus is paid but in effect obviously coming fourth is the major trigger of that so when they're jumping up and down and celebrating like that at Newcastle <laughs> they're thinking of the new indoor swimming pool that's going in <laughs> oh footballers well I'll come back to players in a minute because let's face it we've got 17 of them to address but but Kev um, in light of, of, of what Tim and Leith both put both put in different ways was Jose Mourinho the man who Wenger's never beaten in his professional career was his comment about Wenger being a specialist in failure ultimately justified 
Well, it depends on your criteria. Um, if your criteria is uh, the financial well-being of a football club, then um, <laughs> it wasn't justified. If your criteria is winning trophies, unfortunately it was. And um, I mean, Arsenal, even before our last trophy, was noted for effing up more than one very good opportunity to win trophies even before he was at Arsenal um, you know he did even have a reputation as a bit of a serial loser always finishing second um, when he was at Monaco and if you think about the team that Arsenal had he should have won the league more often in his first eight years he should have won the title in 99 should have won the title in 2003 um, has, a, has a far from impressive record in Europe well the, mm. another point you know so I mean ultimately a specialist in failure well I mean that's one way of putting it but uh, he certainly failed more often than or by all rights he should have if he's a great manager and it's the one thing that does actually rankle with Wenger himself that he can't put himself on the same podium as managers that have won the Champions League and I mm. remember I was actually at the final in Glasgow in 2002 when Real Madrid beat Bayer Leverkusen and there was a gathering of managers on the pitch before the games had their photo taken about four or five of them Fengal was included but it was interesting he was the only one that hadn't actually won the Champions League he wasn't the one behind the camera taking the picture was he? <laughs> he should have been but uh, it's sort of you know it it is on his managerial CV and he's all too well aware of it the big glaring omission um, and I think you can see by his behaviour when Arsenal are being knocked out of the Champions League it's hurting him more than some of the Premier League defeats because he knows that he's not going to have that many chances mm. he knows that he has at least won the Premier League in the past um, he wants it badly but I I just can't see it happening unless he flukes it at some other club. Um, a bit like, you know, Di Matteo, you could argue, maybe <laughs> fluked it with Chelsea, I don't know, or Tony Barton, if you want to go back oh, to the... Peter Wiz. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, let's face it, when all is said and done, if your criteria of success is winning trophies, then in recent times, you know, the last seven, eight years, then, then yes, Arsenal has been a failure. The length, if he wants it that much, um, you know, he's got, a, a, well, for all we know, a three-year extension on the table in front of him, which, which let's face it... I think 50, it's two years. Is it a two-year extension? I think extension? it's two years, yeah. OK, so that means a 10% pay rise rather than a 15% pay rise. Yeah. Um, I mean, but Leith, why do you think he's not signed it yet? Why has he not signed his contract renewal? Why hasn't he signed his contract? I mean, if you look back to all the other times he's signed his contract, he's always sort of played a bit of a game of cat and mouse. He's... Um, I know he was sort of courted by Real Madrid and a few other teams, certainly in the glory days. Um, he, he would just leave it to the last minute. And obviously, if he came out and said he was signing his contract on Sunday, yeah, there wouldn't be people happy, basically. But, mm. yeah, I mean, going back to sort of when Wenger was at Monaco, 91-92, they lost to um, Werder Bremen in the Cup Winners' Cup final. And that was at Wembley as well. And, um, yeah, there's been, there's been games when we should have won, basically, in finals and, like you say, that league titles as well. We should have won a lot more than we did. What I always find, and even going back to like the 2007 League Cup final, I know it was a League Cup, but playing with one arm behind your back, and he does that, 
And it's so frustrating in terms of signing players. 2008, we could have really kicked on. January 2008, it just took a couple more players. The league was there for the taking that year. We fell apart towards the end of the season for lack of a, a strong enough squad. And it's just, it's so frustrating because of the things he, he originally got wrong were really easy to fix. It's not like he's a Harry Redknapp buying 40 players and, you know, bankrupting the club sort of mm. thing. He just needs a couple of players sometimes to fix the club. That's what I felt like. It, too, I think it's too late now. I, you, I, yeah, but this, I, is a, this is a manager that <clears> doesn't treat winning trophies necessarily as the ultimate. I agree with Kev that I think the Champions League for him, but this is a manager that will put doing it on a shoestring as a kind of point of pride above increasing your chance of doing it. This is a manager that will leave £120 million sitting in the Arsenal bank account rather than strengthening the squad because he's queasy about the way the modern game has gone and how much play has cost. This is a manager who will deliberately not strengthen in a certain position because he wants to he wants to see the young player come through and be able to tell the world he developed those players. I think he has slightly different objectives to a Mourinho who will Mourinho will say I'll show you my medals whereas I think Wenger will say I'll show you the bank account I didn't use I'll show you the young players I've developed I'll show you the type of football I've played um, and I think you know and we've seen that that you know he's, he's he's put Arsenal into cup finals with weakened teams mm. you know because of that kind of philosophy and that attitude mm. and you know the goodwill that came from the Arsenal fan base that allowed him in a way to experiment and carry on like this for so long because he did achieve some great things early on has all but gone now hasn't it it's all but evaporated people don't want that anymore they want to see Arsenal win things and not get humiliated in the big games mm. yeah. Okay, well, wouldn't another couple of years, years of him be a good thing? I mean, technically, aren't we doing slightly better this season? Well, I mean, in a way, that's um, part of the frustration that uh, we, we actually got ourselves into a position for the first time in three seasons to challenge. But it's the same old faults that have uh, crept up again. Um, so that even though you'd have thought, yes, this is a different Arsenal as Tim says game for game probably is the same Arsenal we'll see we'll see what the points tally is at the end of the season I mean what what my fear is now is we might see a a tailing off in the way we did in 2010-2011 when we we won about two of our last 11 games at Blackpool and I think we've been Man United at home but everything else we we drew or lost Mm. Um, so uh, I mean yes if we do score more points and we win the FA Cup in theory the team has improved but ultimately how many chances do you what do you want to give this setup to actually prove its point and win something I mean let's face it I mean we've got to win the FA Cup in fairness you'd have thought so Um, and I mean we'll get onto this I'm sure but is that enough reason to have another two seasons of Arsenal because the one thing I notice about let's say Liverpool or Atletico Madrid is you don't always necessarily have to spend quite as much money to at least challenge even if it's not every year at least give yourself a chance once in a while and my view is once you're in that position you don't perform like you did against Chelsea you know I just don't I don't understand what was going on in the players' heads, why we were bombing on in the first 10 minutes with the full-backs going forward, leaving our defence exposed, 
So, I mean, you're always going to lose the ball in midfield. It happens quite frequently. And I think what's been happening with Arsenal, it's probably happened a lot against lesser teams, and we've got away with it. But against the better teams, you don't. You're shown up. And so I'm, I'm not actually convinced we, we necessarily played any different on uh, Saturday than we have been doing. It's just we've been getting away with it. Mm. And um, so there's a fundamental flaw there in the way the team is set up in the, the mindset of the players and I mean that does come from the manager you know the manager sets up the formation he will tell the fullbacks how adventurous they should be and the, the big difference is at the end of last season we just we started off saying we're not going to lose these games that mentality and we sneaked 8 wins out of 10 well a couple of them were good wins but there were a few 1-0s mm. as well ok they were against crap teams but there's nothing wrong with the principle especially if you're playing better teams of making sure you don't lose to start with and uh, uh, you know that didn't happen against Chelsea it seems to me that maybe Arsenal's got confident because yeah we're, we're near the top of the table now we can sort of we've, we've proved that we can do this now let's play our expressive football and at the end of the day that's, that has not worked at all it'd been better going back to that survival kind of instinct that we had when we had to scrape points at the end of last season and in a way that's what he's got to do now you know we've got eight games left in the league you know I mean we've got to win as many as we can someone ventured to me earlier that it's a, it's a remote possibility but let's just say Man United won the Champions League and Arsenal finished fourth We'd be in the same situation Tottenham were a couple of years back when Chelsea won the league. So, you know, there, there might be an argument that says we might need to be third. I, I know it's a long shot, but, mm. you know, strange things have happened. What do you think, Leith? Wouldn't another couple of years of, uh, of Wenger be a good thing? Yes or no? Yes or no? Oh. Gun to your head. Oh. Until we lost heavily at Man City and Liverpool, certainly last Saturday, I would have probably said yes. Now I'm really in two minds, basically, because, I mean, you know, Ven um, Mourinho called Wenger a specialist in failure. <laughs> we grew up watching Arsenal in the 80s, yeah, we were specialists in mediocrity then. You know, we, we 82, 83, all right, we got the semi-finals in both competitions, both cup competitions, finished 10th playing dreadful football, so I've still got that at the back of my mind. Wenger, in his first eight years, nine years of his reign, he revolutionised English football, certainly revolutionised the club, but you could almost argue he's had his time. He, we don't, our teams don't press. We don't, you know, but Spain have won three European titles, two European titles in the World Cup, basically. Barcelona have won Champions League, La Liga's coming out their ears, basically, by playing a pressing game. When's the last time you saw Arsenal press? Saturday, we were playing so high up the pitch as well, with a cumbersome defence in terms of pace. Chelsea just picked us off, and that's, you know, that's what happened. I don't know whether his time's come and gone, I don't know whether he can reinvent himself, I don't know if he wants to reinvent himself, basically, but it's just so frustrating because. All the, all the ingredients should be there for us to really kick on. Mm. Certainly over the last few years, and it just hasn't happened for, for various reasons. And one of them is Arsene Wenger and Arsene Wenger's stubbornness in terms of spending money, in terms of developing the squad with experience, basically, and just in terms of spending money that fans have sort of contributed to the club. Certainly, you know, Tim, Tim's put together some really good figures and stuff. And if you look at some of the, you know, some of the revenues, basically, look at the match day revenues and the broadcast figures. They've gone up 35 percent. The, the broadcast. <laughs> We don't need to pay another three percent. There's a, like someone said earlier, that there's a there's a swell of goodwill that's just been gradually eroded and mm. eroded. 
because of Wenger's sort of stubbornness and intransigence, and it's just so frustrating. Um, thank you for bringing up uh, the AST uh, analysis of uh, Arsenal's half-year accounts. Coming across to you, Tim, is there anything you know as an AST board member with regards to why Wenger hasn't signed his agreement? I mean, in the past, when he has to renew his agreement, he does it in September, in the middle of the season, technically, but now he's seeing on it. He also has sent out the message of what he's going to do and then gets around to do it. Right. Um, it is unprecedented. It's also quite um, destabilising. If you think about it, of a board meant to be out there looking for another manager, what do you do? You know, you, you, this is a big summer for Arsenal. They need six or seven signings. They need a right back, they need a striker, they need a defensive midfielder. If Sanya goes, you need one, if not two centre halves because mm-hmm. he covers that position. You need a goalkeeper to back up Chesney. There's an awful lot of work to be done and you don't actually know who your manager is going to be on the 1st of June without that and so it's not particularly healthy but it's purely his decision there's been a contract offer on the table from the board for a long long time this is because he's not sure he is not sure for various reasons now I think it's wrong to say this is all about the FA Cup final Mm -hmm. because actually that's a knockout tournament it'd be great to win it it might give a bit of a buzz but I think you've got to look at the fundamentals what direction is your club going in has it got a strategy is it you know is the the manager on top of using his budget is he tactically up with where the game (laughs) is now are the performances in the big games not against a Wigan in the semi-final but in the games that matter and actually whether you win or lose the FA Cup I think you've got to ask the questions about the strategic setup of the club the manager and how he interacts with everyone and I would say no to two more years unless there's change and that change means he's got to hand over transfer decision making scouting and transfer decision making to a board and someone like David Dean you've got to start delegating coaching more we haven't brought in an external coaching appointment for 18 years 1,000 games and no one new has come in to, to freshen up that set up because Bolton is an internal in in, in internal (laughs) appointment you know you know and in big positions you know what I mean where it matters Mm. and so you know I do not feel that we have the strategic setup and direction as a football infrastructure at the moment. If Arsene Wenger were prepared to modernise around him and see some of these changes come in, then I'd, then I'd be up for the discussion about whether he carries on for a year or two for stability and handover. It's not his trait, I think, to, 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 to let go and change like mm. that. But it's a much, to me, it's much more fundamental than will we win the next two knockout cup games. Sorry, I was just going to ask, how much would you lay blame at the board? Certainly in terms of Dick Law and um, moving Gazidis. But what exactly does Dick Law do? I mean, you say Wenger's got a very, well, he, very major role in well, transfer. To, to, to defend Dick Law, remember when David Dean left, Arsene Wenger was told he could appoint anyone from world football to work in a post to support him with football transfers, in effect, a director of football. And he chose, an, again, an internal appointment. He chose the Spanish-speaking agent scout that the club used. Now, why did he choose him? He chose him because he wasn't going to interfere in any of the power base. You mm. remember the classic quote yeah I'll have a director of football as long as I do whatever I say the man you know is by, by instinct a, a control freak he wants to be scout manager coach transfer negotiator and all of those and it's too much in the modern game yeah. you know it's moved on so much even in the 18 years but back to Dick Law and I, has, the problem the board have always had is if they'd have lent in and said no we'll do that we'll do that he'll walk 
So it's always, you know, yeah. in a way, it's yeah. been a stay or go, and they've always been too afraid of him. But yeah, he appointed Ivan Gazidis. Yeah. He got the say on who his boss was going to be. That it, It's just gone all topsy-turvy, mm. and the governance and the proper football setup is not right inside Arsenal. The Arsenal Supporters Trust put forward a really detailed report calling for more independence, mm. more football expertise to be added to the Arsenal board. What did we get? We got that well-renowned football expert, Josh Cronkey, appointed <laughs> to the board. Now that's it. You know, maybe he's a nice lad, and I'm sure they looked, searched high and low until they found him. Mm. Um, but he came through, you know, that tough executive search. Mm. Don't think he's been to watch Arsenal in five years. So you know, where where, where is that sense of support and challenge to Arsene Wenger when mm. when the latest board member is running a basketball franchise in Denver? Selection of points there, to be honest, Tim. I mean, uh, going back to the point of Ivan Gazidis, am I correct in saying that Arsenal Football Club made an offer to Peter Lowell of Celtic and Wenger vetoed it at the last minute? No, no, no. Peter Lowell turned us down once okay. to stay at Celtic. They offered someone called Paul, Paul Donovan, Donovan at Vodafone. That's, That's it. Right. And Arsene Wenger vetoed him. Uh, he vetoed his own boss. If I have that choice tomorrow, um, uh, what would you do to your boss? He's a Liverpool fan. He won't be listening to you. But Mark, Marcus, you, you are the best general counsel ever worked for. That'd be lovely. Uh, so going back to Josh Cronkey, who's just been appointed to the board of directors. I mean, there is a little doubt that younger blood. Is, yeah, there is little doubt that younger blood is needed on the board. Whether it's a step in the right direction. I mean, you raised it yourself, it, it, Tim. It, it seems kind of ridiculous, although. I did some research on this for an article in the Guna, and he's currently the guy who runs two of the US franchises that the Cronky family and Walmart yeah. are involved with, one of them being the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, that's the basketball team. That's right, that's right. Um, and they had a coach. He, don't, he, he was an old guy. Everyone loved him. And he came in and got rid of him kind of straight away, so it's my understanding. Well, having said that, the team got a lot better. But Cronky himself does a lot of interviews afterwards, albeit on them, the van- franchise's own TV station. So that's that's my backing for him. I couldn't pick him out of a line of people. Free for all. Hey, Kev, you're looking at me with a face like a slap tart. Your thoughts on <laughs> 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 I mean, Oxlade Chamberlain had a go at this at the weekend, but we don't normally play basketball. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have a glass full of water in my mouth, I'd be laughing hysterically. <laughs> Kev, your thoughts on Cronky Jr.? Well, he's obviously there for succession. Um, I mean, you know, there's, there's no there's no valid reason for him to join the board other than the fact his father owns the 66% of the club. Um, it's it's just a, a nod to the future. Yeah, um, it's saying we're here for the long term. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, that's... Uh, Which is fine, but it's not going to strengthen, back to Lee's question, mm. how is that actually going to improve the operational function of the Arsenal boardroom to make us a better football team. Mm. I mean, not, I, I, I have heard that part of the reason that this contract has not been signed is that there is some kind of um, resistance at board level to doing things the way they have always been done. Now, this might be BS, I don't know, but the kind of feeling I'm getting is that uh, Sir Chips Keswick. Mm-hmm. Our chairman has a bit more in the way of uh, a view of how things should be done. And I think there's frustration on the board that the money that is in the coffers hasn't mm. been spent. Look how they, in effect, briefed against him on the Draxler deal mm. when they came out on the Thursday and made it clear that the Arsenal board would sanction the signing and it was down to Arsene Wenger's decision on the money. But they were making it clear, Kev. That it was his call not to spend the money, and they're getting frustrated with this. 
Yes. Mm. So I, I think there might be an element whereby if if a new deal is agreed, part of it is that these negotiations are handed over, that Wenger does not have the final say. Mm. Because I think it's fairly well known that what happens is he gets too involved in uh, these negotiations. Dick Law cannot seal the deal. as He's not allowed to. As David Dean used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it basically... Arson has to have the final word, and that has scuppered more than one deal. So I suspect there is a little bit of a power struggle going on, because the one thing which I will say about the board, they're not completely immune from fan feeling. And I'm pretty sure that the signing of Mesut Ozil was uh, a response to what happened after the Villa game. Mm. You know, little things like Chris Hudson's uh, Arsenal fan TV video <laughs> going, becoming a viral sensation and being witnessed by 750,000 people. It was more like 3 million. I know I heard from most of them. <laughs> I know Tim was targeted individually, which may or may not have been I justified. For being too much of an acolyte, apparently. I suspect the word patience has been not been used in Tim's vocabulary too much since. <laughs> However, that is, as PR goes... Mm. That, that's not good for the club. Do you think that really had an effect on the board? I mean, uh, if yes, I, if I've got... I do. Really? I really do, because the one thing that, that Arsenal are are media savvy, and they know the damage that kind of thing can do. Mm. And um, I, I agree. Remember that Urzel was being offered around all of Europe all summer, and no one would take him. <laughs> you know, and, and we weren't interested. Mm. Wasn't on Wenger's list of what he wanted. Was too much money, um, and suddenly he was. So- Arsenal had to just had to have a big signing at the end of the transfer window. Now mm. I think you know the player they got potentially is a very good player, although some of the reasons Ancelotti moved him on, we're now seeing, and we've got to hope that gets overcome a bit more in year two. Mm. But I'm with Kev. I think that signing that they'd have, they'd have got lynched. Also, look that 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 club was dying. The team was dying. He's where well, I would still say he was worth the money, whatever his performance is, with a morale boost he gave to the other ten. He picked, a, he picked the fan base, the team, everybody believed again and went on, didn't yeah. they? And went yeah, on, a, went on a bit yeah. of a run. But yeah, if we'd have, you know, if we'd have scraped past Villa 2 1 rather than, rather than lost that game, I do wonder. Mm. I do wonder what would have happened. Because he certainly was not a strategic target of the summer. No. They, they, they ballsed up the transfer window, no end. The strategic target was a striker. And they didn't get one. And now, of course, we're paying the price for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm still not convinced that um, the reaction of the, of the fans is taken on board by the board. Because, excuse the pun, because as far as I'm concerned, as long as they've got 60,342 customers every fortnight, their job is done. They don't like it when half the 60,000 are shouting, spend some fucking money, and you don't know what you're doing at them, though, do they? Well, in that case, um, any of you, Lath, what do you think was behind the board? To see, well, the club's decision, excuse me, to announce ticket price rises back in December. Yeah, that was absolutely shocking, wasn't it? it was absolutely. Just, they were sort of riding on the crest of a wave at the time, really. But there's no need. To, there's no need to increase prices. Certainly not three percent. Mm. You know, the, the amount of money we're coming in is coming in through TV revenues and increased match day revenues, which is what they promised us when the new stadium was coming on board. Why three percent? We we pay the, the highest prices in the world, practically. In world sport. Yeah, and, and what gets me is, you know, when you get Stoke fans going, oh, there's no atmosphere at the Ashburton Grove, the MS, whatever you want to call it, 
We put our money where our mouth is. We put, I pay a thousand pounds a year, so did my mates. They're black cabbies, they're whistles, <coughs> really. They're mechanics. They can't afford that, but we pay it every year because we love the club. There's no, it's an absolute insult to charge 3% why, for what we're playing. Why did they announce it when they did, Kev? Is it because we were top of the league or virtually there or thereabouts? We were playing sexy football. We yeah. just scored um, a, a, a Holland 1978 goal <laughs> against Norwich and we, we, were, we were sexier than sex. <laughs> yeah, that that is it. I mean, it, they picked a good time to release bad news um, because they didn't know what would happen and they, they wanted to avoid the potential uproar that would have... Let's say they announced it today. Well, when they, when, when, <laughs> well normally it's done in early April, mm-hmm. you know, heading into May. How many times has it been announced in December? Once in 125 years. It was the, Which shows you it was the most cynical... Ploy. It was also announced three days after, interestingly, they'd done the kind of winter Q&A, which is done as a Christmas drinks, but where the support groups and others get to go in. Funnily enough, that, isn't it? It's, it's announced just afterwards, yeah. not, you know, not as an opportunity to then hear what people think or even ask about it. It was just done to try and get away with it. Yeah. Where it was compounded, though, I feel, in being greedy because I can understand the view about the small increase every year rather than trying to catch up every now and again with a bigger one, mm-hmm. was when there then became extra games to go on the season ticket to then screw one in at a category A and the other at a B, on top of having the 3%, yeah. I think really was wrong. I think having done the 3%, they should have been much more generous with credit 8 and mm. 9, or rather game 8 and 9, and charged it at average cost put them both through as game B or even less having acknowledged that they'd taken the 3% yeah. they kind of took your nose and rubbed it in it didn't they by doing both well um, here's an open question to anyone who's got the answer I mean looking again at the AST uh, analysis of Arsenal's half year accounts with the 35% increase uh, sorry increase in uh, broadcast money 27% increase in uh, commercial work from, in fairness which is Gazidis' job and he's doing it better than most CEOs in this country and 10% increase in match day revenue um, what exactly is the justification for a further ticket well, price this, this yeah. summer on the 1st of June when all the season ticket money is collected and the new sponsorship deals are coming in the cash pile will have raised to about £150 million <laughs> does anybody think that the £3 million mm. which, which is a lot for fans 3% is yeah, a lot when absolutely. you're paying £1,000 does any you know we're going to notice that 3% does anyone think Arsenal would notice that £3 million if it raises not being there does anyone think that Arsenal Menger is going to spend £150 37 million and say I wish I had 3 million more Mm. and I'd love to know did they go to Arsene Wenger and ask him whether he wanted that money or not because a few years ago it may even have been the the man sitting next to me now who asked what he'd do with 100 million pounds and I think that question was asked because it was a talk of being a rights issue at the time and the club he said that he'd give it back and in a more formal environment with the board, when I asked that question, I was told they'd asked Aston Wenger if he wanted the £100 million from a rights issue, and he said no, the club could manage where it was. I very much doubt they went and asked him whether he wanted this 3%, um, so it will go and sit in the Arsenal bank account, because it won't get spent this summer. Mm. How much money have we wasted on Duke Park's wages as well? Well, about about, about (laughs) a minute. Bentham actually neatly earns what that increase is worth. Across, yeah, what a sad sad point of view. Yeah, three million a year. Kev, anything further to add on that? Yes, I was informed earlier this evening that I I was under a false impression about Abu Dhabi. I thought his contract was up uh, this (laughs) summer. 
<laughs> Apparently, it's not for another year. It's sincerely correct, Arthur. My jaw dropped. Um, <laughs> the inefficiency at the club, especially given Gazidis' words when he arrived about having a laser focus on uh, <laughs> the outgoings in the wage department, is well, it's improved, yes, but it's still a hell of a lot. Of, of of waste and um but you see this is this is an interesting and often unrealized thing about Arsene Wenger that he will spend money he he you know he will reward very well arguably above market rate to some of his young players mm. and he'll also reward some of his lesser players he's always Lee Dixon tells a story doesn't he about how he went through he went through the wages when he arrived and immediately paid him and Winterburn more. That's right, because, because traditionally the fullback was always the lowest paid position mm. in the team and it worked on a scale and he, you all part of the team. But, so this is why we run a very big wage bill. Don't forget that we're going to run a wage bill of 165 million this year. It compares to, you know, Everton's 60 million yeah. or even Spurs 105 to 110 million. We run a very big wage bill because, and I think Arsene Wenger has a bias towards perhaps paying a bit more than he should in wages and not spending as much as he should in the transfer market because that goes back to this collegiate approach and this nannying approach perhaps towards some of the younger ones. And you wonder why the players are so loyal to Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Well, know, yes. He's bought them yeah. you know, and he buys them as long as someone else isn't going to pay them more. So what happens is the superstars who actually really develop and really push on then just up sticks. Right. You know, your Fabregas, your Nasri, I mean, Alex Song, I mean, Adebayor, Gail Clichy. You know, the club have lost first-team players when they've got to a level where someone else can pay them more money. In fairness to them, they're still very loyal to Arsenal in the way that they won't slag him off once they've departed. Fair point. But... As far as the weekly wage are concerned, someone's going to pay them more, they'll, they'll go. Do you think that, that that's the thinking behind John Terrell, Hector Bellerin, uh, Juan Pleseguolo, that kind of thing? Uh, Bellerin, who might make his debut tomorrow night, they're thinking, I'm young, Catalonian, a Barcelona, can't get in their youth team, but Arsenal want me. I'll do a Fabregas and bugger off over to England for seven years. He who pays the piper calls a tune, and if someone's going to pay someone more money, they're going to work for them. Um, it's just basic human nature. You can't blame the players. Fair, fair point. Well, staying off the pitch just for a little bit longer, but um, another aspect to the behind-the-scenes stuff. Moving over to you, Laith. Um, I think it's safe to say that whilst we played very well for the first four months of the season, our best player was probably Aaron Ramsey. But um, he felt like, well, he didn't even fall over, got a little twinge on Boxing Day at Upton Park. And um, since then, he's been out for three weeks, which has become a month, which has become... Yeah. The best part of four months. He's actually got a Sonogoism, as it were. And if you are listening, Aaron, can you just let us know you are alive? That'd be lovely. And <laughs> um, with his delayed return from injury, that the whole shenanigans with Sonogo and players being injured for two weeks, which turns into two years. I mean, are we right to question the club's medical team? Yeah, well, that's a very good point. You look back at the sort of uh, shenanigans the medical department's sort of been uh, been involved with. You know, I remember from Ireland they told us he was out for three days. He'd been yeah. for eighteen months almost in, in total. Obviously, Wenger signs for highly tuned athletes. So maybe there's an issue there in terms of, you know, just the way they pull up in training and stuff like that. But it's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be a root and branch overhaul, I'd say. I mean, they brought in was it Brian Driscoll's brother? Who was uh, Neil Driscoll? Yeah, Driscoll. Yeah, I mean, he was there. But 
I don't know if they've done studies on the injuries and uh, how they've happened and all the rest of it. It's just not good enough, though. I remember we used to laugh at Spurs in the mid-90s when they sort of complained about their injuries and stuff, and it was always this time next year we're going to have a full complement of players and all the rest of it. But mm. we, we've had far too many injuries for far too long. I mean, going back to what Kevin Zim mm. was saying about Abu Dhabi, he'll be due for a testimonial soon. How many games has he played for Arsenal? Oh, Christ. It's shocking, and it's... Yeah, like we were saying about you know, Wenger's a loyal, loyal manager, but how many injuries has DRB had? 36, 37? Something like that. Yeah, you've got to draw a line somewhere. The, the medical team's got to be a bit more callous in a sense, in a sense and just go, well, this bloke's not going to be fit for Arsenal long term. Mm. There's got to be some sort of you know, strategy in terms of standing up to Wenger and going, well, this, this bloke is just not fit enough for purpose, basically. Uh, Kev, do you think it's something to do with the medical team or do you think it, it's Wenger's lack of fitness training? I remember when, when he first joined the club, Lee Dixon said normally you come back in, in pre-season and you're thinking you're just going to run around for three hours. We did about half an hour, 45 minutes, mm. Wenger sent us home and I thought, this is silly. Next thing I know, I'm running quicker than anyone else in the league come May. Is Wenger still doing the same things 18 years later or is something else wrong? Well, apparently Wenger hasn't changed his techniques in 18 years. That's the first thing. Um, I think there's a lot of misdiagnosis on the medical front. I, I think they get a lot of things wrong. Um, that's down to the individuals. Um, it's possible that Arsenal doesn't follow their advice. I mean, I read something online about a week ago that I think it was seen in the Daily Mirror. The reason Theo was injured was because he'd just come back from injury and he was played five successive 90 minutes. Um, and basically his... His joints couldn't take it. They hadn't recovered sufficiently, so it was no wonder he got injured. Mm. So um, you'd have thought in that case, Wenger was advised, presumably. I mean, you're supposed to spend so much money on this technological equipment to identify the red zone, or whatever it is, <laughs> um, where players are likely to get injured. Well, the only thing you can say for sure is the statistics reveal that Arsenal have... 50% more injured players than the average and it can't be coincidence mm. so I suspect it is there's something fundamentally wrong A in, in the misdiagnosis and B in the way the players are prepared for matches and um, it, the only way to change it I suspect is a change of manager because I, I can't see I mean Wenger does control everything mm. so if someone really needs to get to the bottom of it it's got to be without him calling the shots so um, there's there's a big problem and it's it's hurt us I mean you can see now you know we're out without Ramsey Walcott uh, Wilshire uh, I can't remember when Koscielny's out at the moment yes, yeah. Ozil um, we shouldn't we shouldn't be missing five players at one time I mean, you can add DRB for that if you want to laugh. And <laughs> Bender, technically, but even uh, so. Yeah, um, but you know, there's, there's, there's something not right, and uh, it's obviously not been addressed because it's been going on for far too long. Mm. So there is a fundamental underlying problem at the club which is handicapping the team's chances of winning things. Um, but because Arsenal has complete control, no one's saying boo to a goose and saying, hang on a minute, mm. you have to have a look at this and do something different. Um, so all this stuff about Wenger, the, the visionary, she may have been in 1996 when the players were going out to the pub and uh, eating what they wanted. Fair enough, but we have moved on and other teams are doing it better. Um, we need to get our acts sorted, really.
Um, we'll move on to the pitch in two seconds, but before we do, later you mentioned the word testimonial with regards to Abu Dhabi. Do you know this summer is technically the testimonial of Johan Giroud, who's been a professional Arsenal football club <laughs> since 2004? Any news as to who we're playing? Or? Uh, <laughs> no? Of course, he may be coming back. Well, Hanover, don't put him in the team. You know, so How long has he got on his contract? Good question. Tim, any ideas? Oh, no, I haven't looked that one out for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's looked at himself. I don't think he's out of contract, though, is he? So no, I don't think so. Perhaps there's one more year. Mm. He, of course, had one of these contracts that self-renewed. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it was based on, you, you know, when, it, when there was a bit of a, a fuss about this. Perhaps not a totally foolish contract clause, which was if you play so many games you will get the right to renew and your wages will go up because the theory being that if you're getting played all the time you must be doing very well. That was a period of quite a lot of injury in those positions mm. and where he, he covered quite a bit of fallback at one point. He did. I seem to remember. Yeah. Well, actually not for that long because that really didn't work. He got subbed out for 20 <laughs> minutes in one game. Well, that would have still counted as an appearance. But anyway, he triggered the appearance level not necessarily to Arsenal's complete satisfaction and got his new contract and his extra money. Well, gents, to finish this up on the pitch, is there any way our beloved Arsenal can fail to beat Wigan Athletic at Wembley to make the FA Cup final? Leith. Well, I talked to, um, I interviewed Patrick Barkley for the Guna the other day. And, Lovely um, man. Yeah, he's fantastic. Lovely bloke. And um, basically he was saying, I, I said, you know, have you got any message for Arsenal sort of before the semi-final against Wigan? He said, be afraid, be very afraid. <laughs> he, he said he looked at Wigan's bench against Ipswich the week before and... Um, they had Josh McEachern on Chelsea. I think he's still yeah, he's on loan. He's on loan. Yeah. Um, Callum McManaman, who was sort of uh, mentioned in England. Man, match in the FA Cup final last year. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, players like that, and it, we, our capacity to shoot ourselves in the foot in big matches is getting worse, basically. And I just, I'm just so fearful myself. I mean, Bloody we, hell! We, we've been to Wembley. All of us have been there so many times over the years. We always have a good day out. You know, we're getting down the pub at eleven o'clock, basically for five o'clock kickoff. We're going to have a good day, but means nothing if we lose the game and I'm just so worried that we're going to you know and then on Monday morning it'll be on the website oh yeah the players need to learn from this we need to take it on board and be far too late by then so yeah I am genuinely the world, oh, the world will end if we don't win that it's oh, not Valley Parade on a Tuesday night is it I, I went know? to that game as well actually yeah. oh Christ almighty was, yeah. that a, was it a nice curry afterwards or yeah we did have a nice curry that was something that was fine Kev are you slightly fearful of the FA Cup semi-final well the bottom line is uh, Wigan went to Man City and did a job mm. on them and are defending FA Cup yeah, that's a fair point. point. Yeah. So, a better be team than us in the last two or three years of winning trophies. They won't be phased by the occasion. I've been to Wembley three times in the last year. Um, so Arsenal should win. But um, I don't think anyone is actually underestimating Wigan now. You know, I think mm. most people are actually giving them the respect due. The important thing is that the manager and the players also do that. Because that's what will make the difference. You know, I mean... Last time we were at Wembley against Birmingham, the players didn't play like they should. No. You know, there mm. was just something wrong that day. They really need to be mentally switched on and, and up for it and determined. And start the game like they're not going to bloody lose it, for starters. Get their way into it. And then actually, once you get past an hour, in theory, if it is still level fitness level should kick in and Arsenal should then be able to exploit the space that there will be what you don't want is we can score in a goal going ahead and then being able to sort of um, lock up shot so um, 
yeah, Arsenal should win that game. But, you know, I mean, you, you, you can't take it for granted. It can't be as bad as the last time we were at Wembley. I mean, in that game, it went to the last minute and our young, arrogant, self-centred Polish goalkeeper got knocked over by a clumsy French centre-half <laughs> and that thing won't happen. Oh, shit. Oh, Christ almighty. Right. Almost time to wrap up, unfortunately. But before we do, a few words about the current issue of the Guna from Kevin. Yes, I have it in front of me. It goes on sale. Um, if you're listening to this before the Swansea game, it'll be available then. Also against Man City and uh, West Ham. Um, got an interview with Ray Parler, which was done by the gentleman uh, about uh, uh, six feet to my right, Leif Yusuf, uh, in this issue. Also a special feature on Nike kits as we've had 20 years of them and uh, good and bad and obviously this summer we'll see their end of their uh, tenure as our manufacturers and also uh, pieces on whether or not Arsenal are um, really a team that implode in every spring or is that just a convenient argument and uh, a slag off of Nicholas Bentner as well what more can you want <laughs> someone slagged off Nicholas Bentner <laughs> so £2.50 that and, pieces uh, by Arsenal 